And as educators and as parents, we have to unshield our eyes and identify and see, be curious enough to see what is it that, that my child, that my student is going through that is causing them to close their mouth and to be selectively mute and not be able to speak? And how can I help? How can I support them? And is it something that I've done? Is it something, not even that I've done, but is it something that I've exposed the child to? Is it something that I've let the child experience that has caused them to close their mouth? And if they've closed their mouth, then we need to open our eyes. Welcome to Through the Eyes of Trauma, an Inner Ear Agency production, where we engage in discussions regarding the impact that childhood trauma has on education, life, and living. This podcast seeks to help listeners realize the widespread impact of trauma, recognize how it is impacting the students, adults, and families, respond in a way that facilitates healing, and to actively resist re-traumatization. Join us as we tackle the hard conversations, but give tools and strategies to help you cope and begin your journey towards regulation by healing first and educating always. To receive professional development, consulting, and childhood trauma intervention services, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Through the Eyes of Trauma. I'm your host, Dr. Smith, and today I'm discussing a topic that speaks volumes without even uttering a word, selective mutism in traumatized children. Our topic for today is the loudness of silence, unveiling the struggles of selective mutism in traumatized children. Our essential question is how does selective mutism manifest in traumatized children and what tools can educators and parents employ to support their silent journey to healing? Selective mutism is a complex challenge, often an unspoken expression of deep-seated trauma. Let's explore the dynamics and the data surrounding selectively mute students. According to recent studies, approximately 90% of selectively mute children have experienced trauma, making it a common manifestation of their struggle to cope. Silence can be louder than words, especially when children, when it comes to those children who are grappling with the aftermath of the trauma that they've been exposed to. Selective mutism often emerges as a response to trauma where a child who is otherwise capable of speech remains consistently silent in specific situations. Like I stated earlier, the research indicates that the 90% of selectively mute children have experienced trauma. And this trauma underscores the deep connection between their silence and their underlying psychological distress. The link between trauma and selective mutism is complex because trauma can manifest in various ways. And for some children, maintaining silence becomes their only way to cope with that, right? It becomes their coping mechanism to navigate overwhelming emotions and stress. And so it's essential to recognize that while these children may be silent verbally, they often communicate through nonverbal means, such as body language, through facial expressions, and oftentimes if you give them the opportunity, written communication, And so let's unveil the struggles in the classroom. The classroom can be a challenging space for selectively mute students. 
you know, there are there are signs that educators may encounter, but they may not even understand why or the why behind the silence that their student um, exhibits in the classroom. In classrooms all across the country, the struggles of selectively mute students are nuanced and can impact their social, their emotional and academic well-being. Because selectively mute children may experience social isolation due to the fact that they just don't speak, right? Their inability to engage verbally with peers. And so they may be isolated or or looked at as there's something wrong with them or rejected when that could be further from the truth. They may be choosing to be silent to protect themselves. And so educators must foster an inclusive environment that encourages connections and understanding among other students so the student does not feel rejected or doesn't feel socially isolated, which can cause more anxiety, more stress, and more trauma for that student. So I want to also dig into the potential academic impact of selective mutism. As these students may struggle to engage in the learning environment simply because they're not communicating, they're not speaking, right? And the silence of these students can extend to not just the academic settings, but a lot of other uh, places in the school building, which impacts their ability to participate with other students, to participate in class discussions, to answer questions, and really to fully engage with the learning process. And so teachers should explore alternative ways for these students to be able to demonstrate their understanding. I know um, at the campus that I was a part of, we did a lot of MRS in the districts or multiple response strategies. And so teachers need to explore these ways so that students can show their understanding, right, when the teacher has to check for understanding. Um, things like mini whiteboards or using their fingers to answer questions or any other MRS strategy or multiple response response strategy that you can give them so that they can communicate in a nonverbal manner, but still show that they're um, understanding the lesson, that they're actually engaging in the learning process. And then it's important for the teacher of record to identify any triggers that causes this child to withdraw into their silence. This is crucial, right? Triggers vary widely, right? From specific social interactions or social situations to different academic challenges to certain topics becoming triggering or even mentioning certain individuals or certain family members for that person. Now, this is where being curious as the teacher of record, as the, the person who's there to support the student, this is where being curious and observant and then having that supportive relationship becomes super, super important. This is the important tool that you need because sensitivity and observation are key in recognizing, addressing, and then kind of eliminating these triggers so that the, the child is not always in a situation to where they have to feel like they're coping and, and not having not being able to speak because they're, they're using that as their coping mechanism. And so as educators, it's crucial. It is super crucial for us to have tools in our toolkit to support selectively mute students in the classroom. Teachers play a pivotal role in creating a supportive classroom environment for selectively mute students. And so let's dive into some practical tools for teachers. For one, create a safe environment. It is super important to create a safe and non-judgmental space where selectively mute students feel secure. Establish a safe and non-judgmental space is fundamental for these children because these types of coping mechanisms is what damages them if they don't have a safe space where they feel like I can cope in this space. And so providing them 
with that non-judgmental space is fundamental for their coping skills. It allows them to be able to thrive academically and socially and also emotionally. This includes providing a designated safe space within the classroom where the child can retreat if feeling overwhelmed or even a buddy in the classroom that can be their mouthpiece if and when that is needed. And then the use of gradual exposure techniques. This helps the students to slowly build their confidence in using their voice. Gradual exposure involves progressively introducing the child to situations that trigger their silence. This can start with nonverbal communication and gradually integrating verbal expression in a controlled and supportive manner. It's just super important to let them know that you are there to support them, whether they speak or not. You are there to support them in any manner that is necessary. And so providing that gradual exposure for students. And then teachers and parents have to recognize the value of alternative communication methods. Alternative forms of communication is crucial. Allow them to have written communication, to use gestures or nonverbal cues to encourage expression, or even the use of technology can serve as effective alternatives for expressing thoughts and ideas and being able to engage in the learning process or engage in the family learning process Um, even when they're at home, without speaking. Teachers, they can help students with selective mutism by developing that warm, supportive relationship with their students, even if the interactions are nonverbal, right? Easing anxiety into the classroom by pairing them with a buddy student to be their mouthpiece, and then using small group instruction and activities so that the child doesn't feel put on the spot when they're not verbally speaking out loud in a whole group situation, And not only do our teachers need tools, right, our parents need tools if they are dealing with children who are selectively mute, meaning they can speak, but they choose not to speak because maybe they don't feel like they're in a safe environment at home or maybe they don't feel heard. And so they're like, since I don't feel heard, I'm just not going to speak. I'm not going to to use my voice at home. And so for parents, selective mutism often extends beyond the classroom. And you play a crucial role in supporting your child's journey. And so here are some tools for parents. Provide open communication at home. Emphasize the importance of open and non-judgmental communication at home, allowing that child to express themselves without pressure. Also collaborate with educators. You know, encourage your collaboration with your child's teachers or with your child's administrators to create consistency and support and strategies between the home and the school. And if need be, seek professional help. Discuss the professional help with the teachers or find a speech therapist or a child psychologist to address the underlying causes of selective mutism because that is communicating that there's something wrong. There is trauma there and they haven't been able to tell you about the trauma and so they just fail to speak at all. But you have to figure out what's going on with my child and how can I support them? How can I help them? And if you need to, you need to provide uh, professional help for your child. Um, I knew, I want to talk about a student that I had one time and I'm going to call her Emily just for the sake of the podcast, but Emily had a, a journey and a struggle with selective mutism for a while. And, and I want to talk about really just the supportive strategies that I implemented with her with Emily. She was one of the students in my class 
And her silence spoke volumes about the trauma that she carried within. And simply because at the beginning of the school year, Emily was talkative. She spoke with with me. She spoke with other students in the classroom. But then one day um, after a weekend break, so it was a Monday, she came to class with a picture of her parents propped up on the desk. And, And it's almost like that day she decided to become youth. She just wouldn't speak. She would just stare at her parents' picture. And then, you know, I called the parents. I said, I don't really know what's going on um, with Emily, but she really wouldn't speak today. She brought in a picture of you all, and she had it on her desk. I tried to get her to put it away, but she wouldn't. And so I felt like maybe that was there was a situation there. I just didn't know what. And so I allowed her to keep the, the picture on her desk as just like a supportive thing because I really didn't know what was going on, but I knew she just wasn't talking to me. And so when I talked to them, I found out that, you know, her parents had had a messy split over the weekend and it became a really volatile situation. And instead of the mother kind of shielding Emily and her um, younger siblings from what was going on, the mother turned to Emily as though she was her best friend and not her daughter. And so she told her everything that was going on, all of the personal things that were going on between her and her father, as far as why they were splitting up and the things that happened and the infidelities, like extremely detailed information she was sharing with her daughter because that was her person, right? That was her support system at the time because she was the oldest of the children. And so hearing all of the things that the parents were going through from her mom's perspective was such a trauma to her because she felt like now I have to choose a side. My mom is confiding into me or confiding with me about what's going on. And I feel like I have to choose between her and her side and between her father. And so instead of choosing a side per se, she decided to no longer use her voice and remain silent. And so, you know, utilizing these tools and giving her the space to be selectively mute for for a while and just listen and letting her listen um, as I spoke to her and let her know that I was there for her and that I understood that this was a sad thing that was happening to her and her family. And I also allowed her to sit in her silence. Now, she still communicated with me and I still gave her the opportunity to communicate with me, but in her own way. Right. I let her know that she was a part of the classroom, that she didn't have to use her voice if she didn't feel comfortable again was doing so yet. And I kept telling her, you don't have to use your voice yet. I use yet all the time so that she knows you have an opportunity to come back around and speak if you want to. But I let her know, you don't have to use your voice, but I want you to use your brain. I want you to use your pencil. I want you to use your hands or something. I need you to show me that you understand what's going on in classroom. And when I teach a lesson, that you understand what's going on. And if you don't get my attention in some kind of way, either write me a note on a sticky note. I gave her a a purple sticky notepad because purple was her favorite color. And I say, if you need to tell me something and you don't want to speak, go ahead and write it down. But I need to know if you don't understand something. And I need to know if you do understand something so that your learning doesn't suffer because you don't want to speak right now right I let her write down her thoughts and whatever communication that she wanted and she used her nonverbal cues which eventually got her back into a mental and emotional space to be able to use her voice again she started speaking again she started speaking first to her classmates and they came and told me like Emily talked to me today and so that's how I knew you know she was coming around to wanting to speak and then she started speaking to me in class and she told she would say good morning Miss Smith to let me know hey I'm back like I'm ready to speak again now it took a few weeks uh, maybe a couple of months actually but it happened 
And Emily's story is a testament to the resilience of selectively mute children when provided with understanding and support. It illustrates the complexities of selective mutism and the importance of a collaborative and supportive approach, not only in the classroom, but at the ho- in the home setting. Her trauma response presented challenges in both social and academic contexts. But working with her parents, when we worked together with her and her parents and I worked together to understand her triggers and to gradually introduce her to situations that fostered communication, that is where she felt most supported, where she felt that there was a connection between home and school and that we understood that this was a big deal to her, that this this split bothered her so much that it affected her ability to speak and it affected her voice. And so they understood that when we make a decision for the family and for us, it's not just for us, that it doesn't just affect us, but it also affects our child and it affects our child when they go out into the school setting, when they go out into the world. And so implementing such strategies like this, like creating that safe space for her, allowing her to use gradual exposure, and then recognizing alternative forms of communication were instrumental in Emily's journey. And now, although there was much progress that happened with Emily, it did not come without challenges. Therefore, I want you to to inform me. I want you to know that supporting a student through selective mutism will have challenges that may persist. But I will emphasize to you the need for patience and consistency. You must be patient with that student who is failing to speak because just as as annoying for you that it may be or just as troubling for you that it may be that they're not speaking to you and you feel some type of you know um you feel a concern but but you feel almost like you are making this harder on me because you will not speak just open your mouth and speak and that is not the the mindset that we have to have we have to have a mindset of patience and consistency consistency because we have to realize they are going through something they have experienced something so traumatizing to them whether real or imagined something so traumatizing to them that they fail to open their mouth they cannot get what they need the most as easily as it it used to be by opening your mouth and speaking saying what it is that you need but now they have to use gestures now they have to use nonverbal cues or, or write something down simply because that is their coping mechanism mechanism. This is the way I'm going to deal with this stress that I'm going through. This is the way that I'm going to deal with the trauma that I'm going through. And as educators and as parents, we have to unshield our eyes and identify and see, be curious enough to see what is it that's, that my child, that my student is going through that is causing them to close their mouth and to be selectively mute and not be able to speak? And how can I help? How can I support them? And is it something that I've done? Is it something, not even that I've done, but is it something that I've exposed the child to? Is it something that I've let the child experience that has caused them to close their mouth? And if they've closed their mouth, then we need to open our eyes. We need to open our eyes and see what is my child going through? What has my child faced? What has my student faced? And how can I support them through this trauma? How can I support them through this toxic stress so that they feel like they have a voice in this world, that they have a voice in this family, that they have a voice in this classroom, and they can tell me what it is that they need? Because remember, behavior is a response. 
If they choose to behave in a manner that says I'm not going to speak, they are responding to something. And so it is our job as the adult in the situation to respond to them and provide them with a trauma informed response that helps them and that supports them by healing first and educating always. Now, as we conclude today's episode, let's distill our insights into the four key takeaways. Number one, listen to the silence. Actively listen and observe the nonverbal cues of selectively mute children. Understanding the nuances of their silence is crucial for providing targeted support. Number two, create a supportive environment. Beyond physical safety, a supportive environment fosters emotional safety. Encourage a culture of acceptance where each child feels valued irrespective of their verbal expression. Number three, collaboration is key. Collaboration between educators and parents creates a holistic support system. Regular communication ensures that strategies are consistent both at home and at school, reinforcing the child's sense of security. And number four, heal first, educate always. Prioritizing healing as the foundation for education recognizes that addressing trauma is essential for the child's overall well-being. By focusing on healing, we pave the way for effective and meaningful education. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Through the Eyes of Trauma. And remember, understanding and empathy can break through even the loudest silence. Until next time, this is Dr. Smith signing off. We'll see you next week.